0: And by the way i did that at 40. you know so like it's never too late and you know you get into situations where you have family you have a lot more life commitments that prevent you from getting there and acquisition entrepreneurship was kind of my gateway to say i didn't start from zero i didn't have to worry about not having a salary day one or not having a base of something to build off of um and listen that means that there's you know there might there might be certain things down the road that change as a result but that was the right path for me. And there's just so many different paths. And so it doesn't matter if you do it as at 18, 24, 40, or even 50, you can do it really at any age, male, female, whatever income level you have, anybody can do it.
1: Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire
2: their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Really excited about this episode. We've got Adam Geisler
1: on, CEO of Youth Athletes United. Thank you for tuning in. As you know, we used to be the franchise founders podcast. We've shifted to I fired my boss. The reason why is we want to share more stories of people who fired their boss, whether they physically fired their boss and became a business owner or fired the boss of being a bad business owner and how they improved um, and just how they overall have made their life better by becoming a business owner. Um, and co-host here, Christian Dalek. What's going on, Christian?
2: Living the dream as always, man. Excited to have Adam on today.
0: Excited to be here, guys. Yeah, how you been? I've been great. I've been great. Uh, I've been watching you as well on your trail, so it's excited to, uh, you know... I, listen, we, we we love what we're doing. Um, we love this whole franchise space and the camaraderie, and and I love the whole concept of this, uh, this podcast because it really makes you think about what you went through, um, you know, in terms of how you made this journey, meeting meaning me personally, and also the journey that a lot of my franchisees go through when they have to make that first leap of doing whatever they've done in their career and really firing their boss to say, listen, I'm going to go in franchising. That's probably 70% of the system has been in their own personal situation like that. I think it's genius.
2: Well, thank you. Well, we appreciate that. And that was the the mentality behind it. It's nice to know that you get it too. Um, but yeah, I think. I think a cool place to start, like we do with with most people, Adam, is tell us a little bit about your background. No one knows your background better than you, obviously. And how did you get into franchising? How did franchising find you?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great story, and I think it fills really well into kind of your guys thematic. So I've been in sporting goods retail for probably 20 plus years. I started out at Everlast, the boxing brand. Uh, my first job out of college, uh, I was their first marketing director in their 90 year history. Grew up in that business, and I was always a sponge. I learned everything about the business, not knowing where it would eventually lead me. But I just took everything in and kind of learned my way through it. Um, and at a young age, had the opportunity to run that business as president, general manager. Then I wanted to go to a startup business um, with a tremendous founder, where called Mission, where we started something from. More or less zero, and, and grew it to you know fifty million in retail sales, and you know we had to learn what it was like where your brand didn't have enough meaning, and you're starting something from zero, and it's only as good as the the emotions and the in the structure and the process that you built, um, you know, which is what a lot of franchisees will go through as well, um, through all of our brands, um, and then I went over to Authentic Brands Group, which is now the second largest licensing company in the world, and that's where I met my business partner. Um, And so it really kind of led us to this really interesting piece of where we both connected really well in what we did. A little bit of business development, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of merchandising. Both had really similar backgrounds and both had exercise science degrees, which is a a rarity um, in this day and age. And we both found that, you know what, there's something that we could do together. And we've been through our careers enough to say, you know what, I think we can actually take this leap and fire our bosses and become our own boss. And that was really the opportunity that led us to where we are today of um, we now today have acquired um, three brands, uh, soccer stars, amazing athletes and TGA, all under this parent multi-brand youth franchise platform called Youth Athletes United, um, which we've been doing about five and a half years. And I also think one of the really interesting things that plays well in the franchise is what we also realized we wanted to be entrepreneurs, um, as Dan can relate, you guys can relate, but we weren't great at starting something from zero. And so we were acquisition entrepreneurs, which I think is really more of a newer concept. And so we acquired some, some amazing brands, all founder-led brands that have been around for 15 20 plus years and said, listen, I think if we can put these things together, take our intellectual capital with the, the teams and the cultures that they've built and put all those things together, I think we can build something really scalable. And so that's really what Youth Athletes United today is. It's a place where we say every kid could be an athlete. We want to unleash that inner athlete give them that confidence, that physical literacy. And the way to do it is they have to have fun while learning the fundamentals of sport. And that's at the core of what we do. We are a mobile franchise. Um, We're one of the largest mobile youth sports franchises in the industry. Uh, We impact almost about 250,000 kids annually uh, through our platforms. And our franchisees, they run classes, right? We don't run leagues, we don't run classes. And really what what we pride ourselves on is we are that first sport experience um, so no different than what a lot of franchisees aspire to. They want to be that first experience. Well, we're that first sport experience. We're the gateway, right? You're coming to us for your first soccer class or your first multi sport class to figure out what sport you want. So soccer with soccer stars, with multi sport amazing athletes, or you're coming to TGA, our tennis, golf and athletics brand to take your first golf and tennis cl- classes. Everything's class based, mobile based, 30 to 60 minutes really scalable franchises. And we've been doing collectively for quite a while now, we have 275 franchise units. Um, a portion of those are Opco. We like to operate. So we always said we, we want to be in that business with our franchisees so we know what they're going through. We can be the soup kitchen. We can test and learn and say, this is a really good concept and then apply it over to our franchisees. Um, and then we have 127 owners and growing. Uh, I think this year we'll close almost 60 new franchise units across all the brands. And it's probably one of the biggest years that we've had. And, you know, we take it seriously because every day we know that we can help our franchisees grow, us grow. We're just impacting more kids. And that's that's what we love. It's a vision business now. You know, we're mission driven and we love what we do.
2: I love it. I want, to, I want to dive in a little bit more into the brands themselves, but about being an acquisition entrepreneur. I mean, I've read a book called Buy Then Build. Have you ever heard of that book?
0: Absolutely. I love that book. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I love that book. I thought it was an amazing book. And I think there's different skill sets that acquiring a business and growing it take than starting something from zero. And like you said, sometimes, you know, sometimes you can kind of do be a person that can do both, but typically you're better at one versus the other. But I was wondering if you could tell the audience what it means to be an acquisition entrepreneur. What are some of the pros potentially? What are some of the cons potentially and what that would that look like for you?
0: Yeah, and I'll tell my, my story of how I got there. I talk about it, you know, when I when I have when am given the opportunity. To, but you know, the reason I, I am where I am today is because I've constantly given, you know. And I think I think getting to know Dan over the years is a good friend. Like he's kind of a similar way. I give and not knowing what I'm gonna receive, right? And so in this kind of social world, I've always networked and met with people, not knowing what necessarily was gonna come back, but I knew it'd lead be somewhere. And so. Uh, one of my board members today was the former CFO of Everlast. And 10 years ago, uh, very serendipitous for me and him, he introduced me to um, my private equity partner. And he said, listen, you guys are both young. You both have a lot of uh, similar traits. You should just meet, not knowing where it would lead us. And for 10 years, we met at the same coffee shop right the first, first week of June. And I remember at first probably four or five years, I would just learn and ask a lot of questions. And then probably by year five, I said, well, you know what? Maybe I can fire my own boss. Maybe I can do something on my own. And I started pitching him ideas. And I think I probably pitched him 10 really bad ideas, but the 11th one stuck and it was super soccer stars. And, you know, it was really interesting because uh, soccer stars came about as one of our other business partners, uh, who I'm very close with one of my friends, who's our CTO. He was actually on an interview for, for another, another company. And the CEO of that company said, listen, super soccer stars are for sale. While he was on the interview, the CEO went to the bathroom. He texted me, said, Adam, we got to go buy this thing, right? And so essentially what we did was between myself, uh, my other other partner, our president, um, our CTO or CFO, They were all in the same headspace where they were ready to fire their own boss. They were ready to kind of jump into something. We put our own personal capital in. And then we also had private equity behind us that was ready to go into this together. And we actually we really kind of sourced the deal together. We brought the deal to them. They came to us and said, we really want to invest in this management team, which I think is really unique. And so you talk about the things that can make this work. I knew about myself in order to do this. I wanted smart people around me because I knew no matter what, I didn't know enough. Um, and so I was really, I was really strategic to say I want really good partners that can challenge me, that can be better me in certain areas, and also complement me really well. And so, in a rarity, I think we really went almost with all as equal partners in a lot of respects. And so we're going to do this thing together, and it's been the best decision. Um, you know, we share we share time, bandwidth, and it allows us to have scale, growth, and quality of life because you have trusted partners that are with you all the way. And I also had people that I knew. They had similar vision to the same culture that I and we wanted to build. We'd all been from various cultures. Some we liked, some we didn't. And we wanted this to be a place where everybody loved it, right? It was a challenge culture. It was a culture where people felt really good about what they did. And that was really important because as we went in, one of the one of the pitfalls on by the build is I found a lot of times people go in and they'll say, Well, I'm going to take this this founder out. And he did he or she did great, but I'm going to do it my own way. And the first thing that we did when we bought every single one of these businesses is we actually did nothing. We listened, we learned, and we learned from those founders. You know, We kept those founders around in some shape or form every single time, because there were things that obviously they did extremely successful, we wouldn't be able to acquire what they built. And there were things that they did that prevented their growth that we also didn't want to make the same mistakes. And so we took every brand that we owned and we said for the first six six months to 12 months, we're not changing anything, if there's things that we can do additive, we will. We want to keep everything status quo learn and then build on top of it. And I think that's a really important part, especially when you're acquiring franchise systems where people have already been there for 10, 12, 15 years and they've got a way that they want things to run. You know? So you have to make sure you listen to them, you're there for them, and that the things you're doing are added value to them. Because the second they feel like, you know, new investors have come in, you're 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 on the negative side out of the gates right? They're like, oh, what's this person going to bring to the table? Are they going to take money out of the system? Are they going to take things away from me because they want to squeeze the bottom line? And fortunately for us, we built a structure and a strategy that allows do the exact opposite. We've been able to invest in technology, systems, resource, and intellectual capital to allow those franchisees to grow and we grew with them. You know, we learned from them. We said, listen, we're not doing anything to benefit us. Everything has to benefit you right? we're not going to create a new a new program a new logo anything unless it benefits you because ultimately you are the franchisee and so we're I think we're very franchisee friendly we have amazing um, franchise business review ratings and we take those seriously because we want that feedback from people and by the way we like getting some bad reviews on a few of them because we want them to hold us accountable and we want those to be areas that we can focus on and improve the next year
1: yeah I, I think it's smart you know being an acquisition okay. entrepreneur um, you know my well, not my first business, but my most recent business before this one um, was, le- you know, was was built upon an already established platform. And when I look back, like I remember by design saying, like, yes, that's that's exactly what I want to do. And someone once told me, if you're gonna have a business partner, they, they need to bring capital, um, a different skill set, or an audience, right? Capital, different skill set, or an audience. And so, in, in my case, there was an audience to to build right off of immediately. And it expedited our success. And then now for me in my new business, I have the audience and it's like, all right, I have an audience, I got to plug into that audience. And I would never do anything that doesn't complement what I've already done. That was one of the best pieces of advice advice that someone gave me, which was, don't leave what you've already done, leverage that and build upon it, right? And so, um, you know, being an acquisition entrepreneur, I think is, is so smart. And people that are listening, it's just, if they want to be a business owner, buying franchises is not in any way not being an entrepreneur. I think there's this disconnect like, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur if I buy a franchise. I think that's ridiculous. The definition of an entrepreneur is utilizing limited resources to provide a maximum outcome. And to me, that's what you're doing. I have entrepreneurs in my team that work in the company. They're what I would call an intrapreneur. If you're part of a company and you're building a department, if you join a startup, you're an entrepreneur. I don't care what anyone says. Anyway, but like this idea that you have to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, is, is crazy to me and you're not going to be most likely. No offense. You know, there's so many ways to be successful. I had that. You know, it was funny. People say to me, why didn't you just start a restoration business? And well, one, the amount of capital that had to go into the franchise or itself was so much that it's like, why would I invest all this capital first into starting something from ground up and maybe not succeeding versus working with an already established platform in restoration and then be able to work off that. So. I think it's really smart, Adam. I had a question. Like, it's, I think it's brilliant the platform you're building. Like, I'm building a platform, but candidly, there's lots of home service platforms, and we'll find our ways to continually be different. Although it's such a large space, you don't even have to be different. There's so much room. But for you, like, I don't think there's any other athletic platforms, are there? Or you're the first and only platform in in, um, in franchising.
0: Yeah, listen. I think you'll see a lot. What have you seen? Home services. I do think there's a trend towards these platforms, and there's other people doing it different ways. I say our strength is really on mobile. Um, there's probably one other one that's kind of in the space today that that that's there. I think our the the one thing that we look at competition. I think one of the things we're really focused on is making good long term decisions. So I say that one of the things that we've really invested in is we've invested in you know millions of dollars of technology, right? And the biggest reason being is we want to control that customer experience all the way from the data to how mom goes in, to how she finds that class, finds that curriculum, how our coaches can see their rosters, we can track our coaches and really create the scalable business. So that investment in technology is really, really important. So we make those longer term decisions to try to, even when we compete with people, um, to have a a longer term point of view that can really differentiate us. and then I say there's a couple of the businesses that are in this platform space that are really, really interesting. And they're more on the brick and mortar side. you know. And so we're truly a mobile business that's a big differentiator from retail. doesn't mean we won't all combine at some point in time. Um, and also we focus very much on curriculum-based and class-based, whereas there are some other league-based platforms out there as well. Um, but we also like to say, listen, if there's more people in space, I mean, there's more people that, that are on the same vision and mission of how do we impact kids? How do we get them to be... To create these healthy habits, because you know, listen, you, you look like you, you know, you're in good shape, and you've had healthy habits probably for a good portion of your life. And we're watching our kids right now getting sucked into this digital generation, right? Where we worry about it as parents. Kids twelve and nine, I definitely worry about it. I watch them get sucked into the social piece, and you got to manage their emotional, but also their engagement with physical activity. Sometimes becomes less and less, and we got to compete, right? So in order to compete, what do you do? You can't beat them, so you got to join. Right, doesn't mean we're becoming a technology company, but we are. We're becoming this energizer company, right? This fun company, to where that same effect that they get from social media, they get from taking our classes. When you're in there with Coach Mango and he's getting you to sing the song, and he's getting the kids excited and energized, and they're having this great experience, their body and they feel it. You can't get that from the digital device, or you get something very different, and so. Hopefully we're just creating more of those habits and opportunities for kids to get that great behavior early on. Cause I know growing up, I don't know how you grew up, but growing growing up in Texas, sports was everything, right? It was such a defining characteristic of, of kind of who I was and, and what it was. And so I learned so much through it, but I never nobody ever taught me what to do. Right? I never had those kind of positive experiences of what it all meant and creating those healthy habits. I was fortunate to get there later in life, you know, post-college and I made those decisions on my own. Why can't I have those experiences of figuring out what I like in sports, what I like about just getting my body moving, create those healthy, healthy habits at an earlier age. Um, It's important. That's what we want to have.
2: It it is important. I forget where I just heard this, but there's increasingly larger and larger bodies of research that shows the first 10 years of your life are just critical. They're pivotal. The, The foundations you build in terms of social skills, in terms of study habits, or just your mindset towards education, towards relationships, friendships, authority, whatever, it, it really shapes who you are. And oftentimes your personality is, is formed in that, in those earlier stages and your attitude towards exercise and, and fun and sports. And that's all formed those, those earlier years as well. So I, I think it's, it is critical what you guys are doing. And it's, 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 it must be fun because it's, you know, obviously it's, it's you know, you're in, you're in a business to make money, but in a business where you really are, it's mission driven. I think that that is amazing for a lot of people. And I think when people staying on the theme of firing your boss, I think when people, a lot of people, when they want to fire their boss and, and move into something that, you know, is not just for a paycheck, but it's something that they could really feel good about and, and really see their impact. And I think you guys are offering that, which is awesome. And, and it's also... Versus a typical brick and mortar concept, you know, mobile based businesses, it's easier to get into for for most people, where they're not, you know, it's still an investment, right? But they're not. It's not like opening up a Mickey D's, right? Where <laughs> it's, it's you no, know, no.
0: no. And, and you're on a couple a couple good things. One is, I think go back to the earlier point, you know, we really focus on locomotor and vestibular, right? These these big words, and what they mean is we're we're focused on the whole kid. Right, We're focused on sports. Is, it, is sports is really this vehicle for you actually learn better, but also like all these coordinations and growing of the mind. If we can get them going at an early age, like we actually can help them learn better, like be better learners, be better humans, be better citizens. So there's so much that we do that sports are just the vehicle that allows us to impact these kids in such a bigger way. So there's this, there is a really holistic piece to it. And we talk about this mobile business, Another kind of intangible that we love about it is that because you're hitting multiple places, when you think about it in our business, very different than Dan's, you want to be within 15 minutes of the consumer, right? You got kids. You got a two year old. If you're not, if that class is 20 minutes away, that last five minutes can be a disaster for the parent of the kid. So what it forces us to do is we have so many different touch points of locations, not different, not so different than homeless, but where we actually operate our classes. And what it allows people to do is have a greater impact on their community. You're not just in one location. You get to be in schools, parks, churches, synagogues. Give us grass and we can run a class, right? And as long as we've got those opportunities, we can impact the community. And so, you know, we're seeing it so much with, with our newer franchisees as we've really kind of built our system and have a lot more success. The people that are coming in, I mean, they're coming from, there's CFOs, husbands and wives. They're coming from big business, Google, Apple, like these really big companies. And they're saying, you know what? like. I love what I did, but if I can do what I love and make a living doing what I love and I can really impact my community through sports and have these these early childhood impacts, man, why wouldn't I do this? And these people are they have growth mindset, they're thinking big and it's just it's it's a totally different path, but they are firing their own boss when they're making these decisions. They've worked in corporate for so long. They get into that that place of like, man, can I really do it? And I think that's where our jobs are. And you know, Dan Dan feels it every single day with us. Of like, we got to show people that we've got enough of a system, enough of a, a platform that when they're coming in, the things they don't know, they don't need to be experts. We don't need our franchise to be marketing experts. We don't need them to be admin experts, right? We need them. We don't even need to be coaching experts, right? We need to be driven in this business. Figure out what their superpowers are. Make sure they have enough people around them. And we've got all the platforms where they don't have to create a new email platform. We got it for them. Or they don't have to worry about page search and social. We've got it for them. We've got an alternative. They don't have to worry about recruiting. We've got a recruiting platform. And so those are the things that we really bring to give people that. And no different than an acquisition entrepreneur like the way I was, they really are to Dan's point. Like it's, it, That's what franchising is. I, just, I never thought about it that way till we got into it. And it's such an exciting opportunity for them.
2: If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to I Fired and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like, and I know we share the same
1: same thought process. You know, Adam and I actually we meet once a month with other franchisors. And in New York City, we have our mastermind and we're always learning. And I always tell franchise candidates this you don't have to do all those things. I was in Wisconsin last. Thursday at dinner with a marketing supplier, learning ideas and building the relationship. And we get deep discounts with them. And you don't do any of that. We do all of that. And on top of all the other things that we do, but when, when you look at franchising in this world, I think like since real estate, such a, a lesser, um, lucrative of a lucrative investment right now, you've got these more sophisticated investors coming into franchising more and more. And as a franchisor, you have to understand that they want to buy a business that they can run, but not be in the day to day. And so it's on us to create these these support verticals, right? So for like same for you, like when it comes to recruiting, we've got this vertical. When it comes to uh, bookkeeping, we have this for you. Like they want as much off their plate as possible. It Doesn't mean that they're not going to be busy, but they're busy on the right things. They're a laser, not you know, not they're a rifle, not a shotgun and they're focused on what they should be most focused on. And I know that's what you have for your, your franchise franchise candidates. What do you think is like, what do you think is the biggest struggle for people when they, when they fire their boss, they become a franchisee. What do you think is the biggest, like, and, and and that struggle is usually not a day to day, like the mindset struggle. What do you think the mindset struggle is that they first have?
0: Yeah. So I think the first thing is they get over the hump of, you know, can I really do this? Right. Because, you know we always say, especially with new franchisees, if they're coaching, they aren't growing, right? We're not we're not bringing you into this franchisees to become a coach. We're bringing you to be to be a business owner. like right? you're hiring coaches, you're building your buildings business. So first, once you get and get them past that, you know they feel like, okay, I don't have to coach the classes, but I, I need to be able to, but I can I can get there. Oh, well, I'm concerned about recruiting coaches. Great. We have a recruiting platform where we can help you recruit your first coaches when you get there. and then the last part becomes sales sometimes becomes a limiter for people like, oh man, I'm not comfortable selling. Well, it's a different kind of sale. If you walk into a preschool or school, everybody needs soccer, multi-sport, tennis, or golf. That's not a question. It's just, do they have time and space available, right? Or money. And so it's really figuring out those things. And so we actually go into their territory. So listen, we're going to come into your territory as a business success coach. We're going to help you sell for, for your first 10 accounts. Once we get one or two done, either you, you're going to realize you're really good at it, or you'll make sure that you have somebody else that's really good at it behind you. But you also see how easy it is because it's a conversation in this business. So I think you got to get them through those, through those couple things. And then when they come through franchise training, that first confirmation and first training day, it's overwhelming. I mean, it doesn't matter what we do. We've we moved this, we moved this session. It's so overwhelming. And so what we try to say, is you got to walk out of there with two things. You got to walk out there knowing our product. If you don't know the product, then you can't sell the brand, right? You've got to be able to know the product out. So we make sure that they've actually assisted or coached. They actually have to coach a class. They can't leave franchise training after they coach a class. Once they start to get through some of that stuff, to your point, Dan, you just start eliminating roadblocks and walls. By the time they're ready to go, we had a franchise training. We just closed uh, last Friday. The couple, as of yesterday, already closed their first location. And a big parks and rec program. I mean, think about your open rate in this mobile business. I mean, we say it's less than 60 days. They did it in less than five days, right? From training day. And so, you know, because we gave them that confidence and we're constantly refining, how do we make sure that we're removing those roadblocks and giving them that confidence that they know when they're selling, they know what they're selling and they can go and execute on?
1: Yeah. No, it's great. And it's, it's that tough work, right? It's like, removing roadblocks by giving people an exact script to follow when they go to a, a school and this is exactly how you say it. Or, um, you know, here's the exact materials you use when you go do a local event. Here's what you bring. And you have a marketing person that has all of that in like playbooks. Like that's the stuff that it's not easy to do. And you got your team working on and building that. Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about a personal experience. I've done Frandev for a decade, and. Uh, I found myself realizing that everything in my head wasn't getting translated. And I'm like, but I told you that. And you think people hear it, but there's so much to our process, in just in the franchise development process. And so like late last night, I was sitting or writing, and it's like, I'm I'm not the guy. I don't like to do that kind of stuff, but I made myself. I I turned off all distractions, and I wrote out everything in my head that I wanted to happen. And then, you know, it's a working progress. I think about that. It's the same thing with our franchisees when they, when they need to go get a property manager for our business to, to give us business. Well, here's how you go. Here's what you say. Here's like, you know, McDonald's is like that. When you go to McDonald's, they ask you, how can I help you or whatever their script is? And they say that across the, the whole country or world. They say the same thing. So you guys are giving them all of this, this material to work with. Um, and so with that couple, like how can, how else could you just get into a business and close something so quickly? And would you say is that your franchisee's number one job is kind of like building relationships in the community?
0: Yeah, so that's what you'll often find is you're you're you've already got built-in sales. I would say ninety-nine percent of our franchisees come through have kids have kids already that are in that are experiencing this, right? So they're communitarians right out of the gate. They've got they've got their schools, they've got their families, they've got other kids, they've got some sort of uh, you know they might have a a religious affiliation, so they probably got at least 10 or 15 different types of people to sell to right out of the gates. And again, what I always tell our franchisees, which I think is the is the best skill set, is your origin story is your best selling tool. Why, why did you do this? What is your why? Oh, because I wanted to give back to the community. I want to impact kids through through sports or soccer or tennis or golf. I love what I do. And I want your kids to have the same thing that, that my kids are, are experiencing. Or I didn't get this as a child or my kids aren't. And I want to do that. Like what parent or, or director isn't going to want to be involved in that? So you've, you have a built-in customer database, right? Right out of the gates. And it's giving them enough confidence to start to use it. And what you'll find is most franchisees, by the time they get there, by, when we run through our process, so they'll have confirmation day and they usually have two to four weeks between then, And they're kind of sitting there saying, what, what do I do? We said, go sell, talk to your community, figure out where you're going to go and start soft selling a little bit. And they come in and like, And my church is ready to go. My prime school, ready to go. My synagogue, my mosque, whatever it may be, they're ready to go. I've already got parents ready to sign up because you can, you almost everybody's a customer. And we know parents, you know, they have kids and multiple kids. And you're always got this revolving, um, this, this refillable database, if you will, of there's always, there's always consumers at that bottom half of it. And so they just go, they just tell their origin story, who they are. I mean, this amazing franchisee in New Jersey use, I mean, he, definitely, definitely afraid of, of wanting to sell. He said, listen, you can sell 10 times better than me. Why? Look at your origin story. You've been coaching for 15 years. You've decided to take on a franchise because you want to impact your little, your community. And you saw there's opportunities for people to get, get, get suckered the way they weren't getting it before. Right. And he was multilingual. And so he had all these different, all these different advantages that I could never sell the way you could sell. You've, you've got it all. You just have to be yourself and find your connection points to people. And once you kind of break through, it's, it's phenomenal what you're doing. So you just get to be yourself, which I think is is a rarity in, in business and life. And that's what's, that's what's fun about
2: it. It's funny that... I mean, you said this earlier too, that it's a different kind of sale. I think a lot of people initially, that's one of their biggest hangups is they think, I have to be some kind of... I mean, I don't know. What's the worst type of sales pe- most people can imagine? used car, dealership, they're <laughs> selling life insurance. And they think it's that kind of sale, that kind of mentality you have to have where people almost look at you as a social pariah and they don't want to, they see you walking down the street or they see you at school, they want to cross over to the other side. This seems like, a, and like you just touched on, it seems like exactly the opposite of that. So they don't need to come into this with, you know, having taken the Sandler training on how to be a superstar salesperson or, you know, Grant Cardone's course or all these different, Courses that are out there, they just have to be genuine and people that really care about the mission and can get attached to it and could just convey their excitement.
0: Yeah. And you can believe in what you're selling, right? I mean, it's hard to believe that a used car is going to impact somebody's life, although it will. And it's certainly there's a need and opportunity for it. But like you're, to your point, vision, mission driven businesses, and you believe in what you're selling, what you're doing, you're not selling anymore, right? And, And it just becomes much, much more authentic and genuine and comfortable. For people that, that aren't traditionally open to that.
1: But like when I think about you, Christian, like when we first started working together, like however many years ago, and you first started out as a new franchise consultant, I was always fascinated that like I was like, hey, here's what you do, here's the process, here's the documents, follow that script, say this thing, ask this question, and you never questioned it. And then you were successful immediately. And it's like, what what's the point of challenging that? right? Like, what does it do for you? I think about that all the time. Like, I know for me, I'm not recreating the wheel at all. There's a playbook for being a franchisor. I see guys like Adam and I see other people and I saw what uh people I look up to did. And I study them and then I just do what they do. And of course, I make some tweaks here and there, but I'll make a lot of tweaks when I have a couple hundred franchisees. Then I'll be changing things up. I'll be changing the game, you know, but why not just follow the the playbook? And it's funny because I say it's a candidate. like, Again, oh, you don't have any franchisees. And we explain, well, it doesn't matter, right? Here's what we've done here. But more importantly, here's the playbook. We're following a playbook for being a franchisor. And this isn't rocket science. It's really not. This is, we're a training facility. Figured out how to train. We're a marketing facility. Figured out how to market. We're going to plug into that. I'm going to continue to learn from franchisors how to be a franchisor really well. And you just got to listen to the system. And people overcomplicate that. I think they get in their own way because of their ego. Um, it's, it's, there's no reason to, and we can be creative in other ways. There's plenty of time to be creative, but I don't know. If I were to come into your franchise, I would just, I'd follow your system to a T, to the exact T. And then when I'm the top producer, I'd be like, Hey man, we have to have a conversation. Here's some stuff I want to, I think we should change or you might benefit from. But like, don't go in the system thinking like you got to change everything. You don't. And I don't really know why people have that mindset. Um it's an interesting, it's interesting though, because Christian, you can go in any franchise, I think you'd be successful because you just follow
2: the process. I agree. I think a lot of it that holds people back is ego. I think at the end of the day, I, what do I care more about? Do I care about looking smart or do I care about looking successful? And I think this is true of most people that are successful. I'd rather follow the success of someone like Adam or you, Dan, where you guys are like, look, just do X, do Y and do Z and it's going to work for you. That seems way better to me than trying to be the dude that created it from scratch. And I get to have everyone pat me on the back like, wow, Christian, you're really smart. You're the next Mark Zuckerberg. Wow, you're like Steve Jobs because you created this amazing... And most people, you're never going to do that. If you do, then congrats, you're going to be a billionaire, multi-billionaire. But for most people, you're not going to do that. So just follow the damn system. And more often than not, it'll work out for you. But I do think that ego is one of the biggest things that probably trips people up. Here, here's an example. And I'll, I'll just to
1: wrap up this point, like here I am as a franchisor, newer franchisor and every experienced franchisor that I'm lucky enough to have in such an inner circle said, Hey Dan, the one thing you don't want to do is don't take someone just because they want to join your franchise. Right. And you've heard that again and again and again and again. And then like here, as I went through bringing on our first franchisees that I remembered that I'm like, you know what? Like I'm going to follow that. someone, Smarter than me told me not to do something like take this person on. And I'm not going to think I'm smarter than I'm going to follow this, this process. And you know, you're fortunate. We've got a great company that helps make sure the right people get into your, into your system. And we have that in our, our process. But, um, I think that's a big thing, right? If we're talking about franchise development, like anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you look, if you start looking at franchises, you know, don't think it's some like, there's a reason why franchisors are saying like, here's our process. Here's how we take you through our process because we look for people that can follow a process. And if you're someone that doesn't want to follow a process, no big deal. Just don't buy a franchise. Like you're not a franchisee. Um, and that's okay. Um, if you're not genetically like encoded to be able to follow a process, then really don't, don't buy a franchise. That's, that would be my advice to anyone. Um, and I see it when I see people not follow our process. Sure enough, toward the back end, you're like, I know this is not a great franchisee. It's not that we're trying to be a dictator or that we're so you know. Uh, obviously, the person investing has to decide if it's the right franchise for them. Just as importantly, but their way of evaluating it is they have their way, and, and then we have a process, and people have to follow it. It's um, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I I I give my my take on the whole thing is first of all, I'd say. We rarely have an original idea, right? We usually take whatever the best idea that's out there. um, We try to follow the path. You know, this was so great about franchising. We didn't invent soccer. We didn't invent franchising. But we did say, you know, can we take a lot of these parts and pieces, put a few things together, and then make them a little bit better, right? And that's always what we try to do. And so I think that's, that's really important. When you think about you know the franchisees, the, the kind of the way you describe, I think there's kind of two things that we like. At one is we do really like to have a challenge culture, to make sure, and I think it's very different from a founder's mentality, right? We do have the challenge culture where we want our franchisees to tell us the things that will make them better, and so I think they can follow your process, but they can also feel like they're they're authoring it with you, right? They're co-authoring it with you, and I think that's been really successful for us. If somebody comes and says, "Listen, I have a I have a really good idea for it," the other day, a franchisee came up and said his cousin was interning with him and had this great idea for a flyer. So what I found over the years is there, there will be certain founders of franchisees, not necessarily ours, who will say, well, it's my idea. I'm the one who creates the flyers. I don't want to hear it. We say, well, what was the idea? He told me, I said, this is genius. What a great idea. By the way, do you think it's going to help? He said, Adam, I know it'll help me. And basically, it was he said, let's create a coloring picture on one side of the flyer, and let's get all of our product details on on the class details on the backside. So the kid will actually take it home, play with it, and then the parent on the other side has their classics I'm like, and his intern, like his, his nephew is one to intern with him. Like, is the one of people like this is genius. And so I think if you allow your franchise to co-author with you, they tend to not only follow the process but own it and feel like they're really they're really helping co-authors. So I think that's a really really big part of it. And I do think that last piece of founder mentality, you know, where where you are and where where we are, Dan, is that. You know, we didn't found these specific companies. We took these really great ideas. And so our point in to, to it as well, like our only goal is success, right? It's not what was written on the flyer. It's not how many pieces of, of collateral did you buy for me or why would you challenge my curriculum? It's none of those things. It's, are we doing everything to make you the most successful? I had a conversation with a franchisee today. We were talking about doing an event. I said, listen, if this event does not, if it's not good for your system, don't do it. You don't have to do it for me. I gave you a co- I gave you what I thought was a really good opportunity. If you don't think it's a good opportunity, we don't need to do it because it's got to be right for you. And I think those types of partnerships make you very, very franchise or friendly to the franchisees. And you get better adoption because you're just you're in it with them and you're a partner.
2: Yeah, I think there has to be, at the end of the day, you, yeah, you want them to follow the system. And I think the mindset as a franchisee, when you're going to be buying into a franchise, I can't imagine why you would pay the franchise fee, be willing to pay a royalty if you're not going to follow the blueprint that you just bought. I think that it is important to imitate to then dominate because you you, you will not get to domination until you first are a master of imitation, which is why you're buying the franchise. Once you've done it for a year and you've mastered the fundamentals, then I think, yeah, let's try to be a little bit creative. But what I also think is, initially, it is really nice to hear from a founder Um, And hear from the franchisor, like a Dan or like you, Adam, who's saying, yeah, I mean, look, please follow the system. We know what we're doing, but we're not looking to be dictators here. We do want you to contribute to the growth of the system. We understand that you have a lot to contribute. And yeah, once you get things up and running and you have followed our system, if you figure out other better ways to potentially do things, we'll at least hear you out. And that isn't true of everyone in franchising. It's probably more common than a lot of people think, but there are very bureaucratic brands where it is kind of their way or the highway. And they're not going to listen to you. So I think when people investigate brands, it's important to hear from people like you, Adam, who are saying, no, we're going to, we see this as a partnership, not as a, as a, you know, you, the franchisee, work for us, almost as, hey, we're the franchise where we work for you, which I think is a, is a really awesome mindset to hear from, um, you know, from what you guys are doing.
0: And I say one last thing that Dan, you said earlier, I think it's a really good point that you brought up of like, you know, don't just let anybody in your system. And so the way that we, the way that we really approach it is we've never said no to anybody. What we've said is if you want to be successful, you need to be committed. And so, so what we've done is many times, often when we find somebody's kind of right on that edge, and it's usually somebody that's, Deciding that they didn't want to fire their boss, and to be honest with you, really clearly, cool. so uh, the people that don't want to fire their boss are the people that are the, have the most challenge in their business. They want to hold on to their job. They want to do this as side income, or they want to do that job until this job starts to become successful. Then they'll let go of that job. And the reality is, you never fired your boss, so you you, you never you never fully got in unless you're going to hire somebody else to become your boss of that system. It's where it's where people struggle the most in our industry, and so we we are we're never afraid to have the tough conversation really early on because if you don't if you don't have that conversation now, then you'll regret it to have to having after they're on and then they've invested yeah. in your business, we don't want that for them or us, and so we get after it now. We have those tough conversations, and it, it's worked really really well for us. You you can have what you want if you
1: don't say no to what you don't want. Like it's it's amazing to me how you create space when you rip the band-aid off of whatever you're attached. Like, like, give you an example of that candidate. Like, I I haven't yet, but I plan tomorrow to have that conversation, which is like, hey, look, she's not, she's not a fit. And then they'll yell at you that you don't have any franchisees and who are you? And you're like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter to me because you're going to thank me. You're going to thank me because right now it's a tough thing to hear, but two years from now, and I've had those conversations. Like, you know, I understand you may not be happy with me, but I promise you, I'd rather you two years from now say, you know what? I wasn't the right fit. And I can see now, I was turned down by a franchise once. And I look back and I'm happy that they did. And so it's like, I'd rather have the tough conversation today. And that's what's great about you, Adam. I'm like, what's that book? Um, you ever read The Five Dysfunctions of a CEO? Oh, I got to like check that one out. Patrick Lencioni, I think it is. He, he says like, so it's kind of interesting. This is not a franchisee, but a CEO will get so close with their executive leadership team and it's lonely at the top. You don't see your friends as much. These guys or gals become friends of yours. And when that person at the leadership team is not doing performing at the level that they need to believe it or not, it's more likely that the CEO will fire them. Cause that's a, it's easier to fire someone than it is to have a conversation like, Hey, you're not doing X, Y, Z properly. And if you don't, we'll have to then let you go. So for whatever reason, CEO is actually more often will fire someone because it's a one breakup versus a a harder conversation. And I I feel like the more you grow as a leader, the more you can learn how to embrace those tough conversations, um, the better. You know, I had to have one of those today. And uh it sucks. But isn't it better to have that tough conversation? And 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 with franchisees too, they're gonna have I I really like you said uh you being held accountable. What's cool about us franchising is you have to you have to improve. Your franchisee base is not going to allow you to not improve, and that's what makes franchising, I think, grow so rapidly. Is this mutual push that each one, the uh, franchisee franchisor has, and and my friend Andy Fuller says it best. They're not customers, they're not employees, they're not business partners. We're fran- the term franchisee is a whole other name because it's a very unique relationship. Um, yeah, but like it's great that, that you're getting like so many
2: ideas from your base of, of franchisees. Yeah, that's great. Well, Adam, well, before we wrap up here, any other last-minute useful tips or pieces of advice you'd like to give someone that's considering firing their boss, joining the world of, of
0: business and becoming a franchisee? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I would tell you that I lacked a lot of confidence of wanting to do it. Um, I didn't know I had it in me. Um, it wasn't until I got there that I figured out that I could do it. And then once I started doing it, I realized there was a, there was still a lot that I didn't know. And I think there's always that terminology of fake it till you make it. And, you know, I had really good partners around me and I learned my way, learned my way through it. And, you know, if you want it, go after it. Cause what's the worst thing that happened? If I failed, if it didn't work out, I knew I was employable. I knew I could always go back to the workforce and I could go work for another boss, but I wanted to give it a shot on my own. And by the way, I did that at 40, you know, and so like it's never too late. And, you know, you get into situations where you have family, you have a lot more life commitments that prevent you from getting there. And acquisition entrepreneurship was kind of my gateway to say I didn't start from zero. I didn't have to worry about not having a salary day one or not having a base of something to build off of. Um, and listen, that means that there's, you know, there might there might be certain things down the road that change as a result, but that was the right path for me. And there's just so many different paths. And so it doesn't matter if you do it as at 18 24, 40, or even 50. You can do it really at any age, male, female, whatever income level you have, anybody can do it. And if that's not a path for you, by the way, I do feel like franchising is truly acquisition entrepreneurship. This firing your own boss concept is so true. So many great franchisees that we've met, um, specifically over the last five years. And, um, you know, anybody can do it. They really, really can. And the failure point, what's the worst thing that happens? Can, most people have an opportunity to go back into the workforce, so go for
2: it. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I think if we really sit down and come to terms with the fact that this is the one life we get, I don't understand why you don't go for broke, or at least try, at least try to go for the the cool thing. Go for go for it all at least once in your life. And like you said, worst case scenario, you can you can always go back into the workforce and figure it out, and still live a very fulfilling life. But I think entrepreneurship is just a hell of an adventure that it'd be so cool if more people, you know, had the courage and the confidence and at least people like us telling them that you can do it and for them to take that shot. So Adam, thanks for coming on, man. Congrats on all the success you've had up until this point. And uh, thanks everyone for hopping on another episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss,
1: make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss.